Well, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 37 in verse 1. Psalm 37 in verse 1. What we're going to consider today for our one service is an extension of last week's message. And the particular verse that we are going to focus upon is one that everyone, including our young people, should memorize. And that is verse 4. We'll be getting to that here momentarily. It's one of those one-verse wonders. That's what I like to call it. But I want to look at it in its context. We need to do that. And so I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Psalm 37, beginning with verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. As you can see, this psalm was written by David. Likely in his elder years. And I say that because the beginning of verse 25 says, I have been young and now I am old. It's much like a read of Proverbs because it's one of a few number of wisdom psalms. Therefore, it is very relevant for today because it gives counsel in how to conduct yourself in the world, among those who are wicked and seem so prosperous. Remember, that is exactly what Asaph was battling with in Psalm 73, which we considered last week. And by the way, if you did not hear that message, please go back to our website and listen to it this week. Today's message goes along with that message. Well, negatively here, David said three times, In the first 11 verses, do not fret. That is, do not get worked up. Become anxious and envious. Look at verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret 
it leads only to evil doing. Yes, fretting leads to anger and evil doing. That's what he says negatively in this psalm. But positively, he said what I believe is the primary solution to the problem. And it really comes down to loving God. That's what it does. It comes down to that very thing. Loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We see that there in verse 4. The key verse. What does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When you make God your passion, the prosperity of the world and the things of this life fade away in your hearts. They do. Just as I read last week from Matthew 6 and verse 21, remember? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Those were the words of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so I ask you this morning, where is your treasure? What do you delight in? Where is your treasure? I trust that it is in the Lord. And to help you with this, I'm going to ask and answer four questions this morning regarding a delight in the Lord. And I do pray that it will encourage and challenge you for the days ahead. That is my desire as we look at this one-verse wonder, 37, verse 4. And so the first question that I want to ask and answer is simply this, what is it to delight in the Lord? We'll start right with that. What is it to delight in the Lord? Well, the Hebrew word for delight speaks to something exquisite. Living in luxury and being pampered. And in this context, it simply carries the idea of enjoying God. Basking in who He is and what He has done. Being pampered, so to speak, in God. Now last week, I shared with you what my favorite food is. Do you remember? Yeah, eggs Benedict. I think someone after the service asked, said, that's your favorite breakfast, right? No, no. It's my favorite food. And I can eat that more than one time in a day. Well, my favorite treat growing up, my favorite treat growing up was a brownie delight at Dairy Queen. I mean, you're talking about 2,500 calories of bliss, all right? I can remember as a little boy, my dad would take me and my brothers and sisters to the Dairy Queen, and all he could afford for the five kids was maybe a little ice cream cone dipped in chocolate. Remember that? But I could remember being the oldest, looking up at the menu and saying, I want that brownie delight. This little ice cream cone dipped in chocolate is not enough. And so I'd ask my dad, and he said, oh, that's too expensive. But it was always on my heart and my mind. And so when I got a little bit older, maybe a junior junior high, I had a long, I worked doing lawns, mowing lawns, raking lawns and things of that nature, so I earned a little bit of money. 
When I would get done mowing the lawn, I would jump on my bike and go to the Dairy Queen. And I'd order that brownie delight. Now, they had a plastic bowl about this size. And they would put that soft-serve vanilla ice cream in the middle of it. It was about six inches high. I would imagine that today it's probably three inches high. They don't make it as big as they used to. And frankly, I haven't had one in over 30 years, all right? I can't do it these days. If I'm going to eat anything, I'm going to have 2,500 calories of food, not ice cream. And then they would put a ladle of hot fudge over that ice cream. I'm not talking about some little thing. A good-sized ladle of hot fudge. And pour it over that ice cream. It would just smolder because of the heat on that ice cream. And then they would put a pool of whipped cream around it. And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, keep bringing it on. And then they put a cherry on the top of that. And then they would put two brownies, one on each side. And I would carry that heavy load into the dining room, take the brownies out, put them on a napkin, and I would hover over that brownie delight and eat it spoon by spoon by spoon. I mean, I enjoyed every aspect of it. And then when I was done, which was about a half hour later... I would grab my two brownies, put them in the napkin, and get on my bike and ride home. And all the way home, yes, I was eating those brownies and taking in the last bite as I walked into the house. I mean, I enjoyed it for about 45 minutes. This is the picture I have when I think of delighting in the Lord spiritually. He's my brownie delight. That's it, right there. I'm pampering myself in God. John Calvin said this of this verse. This delight is set in opposition to the vain and deceitful allurements of the world, which so intoxicate the ungodly that despising the blessing of God, they dream of no other happiness than what presents itself for the time before their eyes. He goes on to say this. We must therefore constantly recall to our minds this truth that it can never be well with us except insofar as God is gracious to us, so that the joy we derive from His paternal favor towards us may surpass all the pleasures of this world. Amen. And so instead of being envious at the prosperity of the wicked, who will one day fade away, you are to refresh yourselves in the riches of Yahweh God. That's what's being told us right here. In fact, Psalm 119 verse 2 says this. How blessed, how blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. I think it's quite interesting here that you have those two phrases together. Observe His testimonies and seek Him with all their heart. In other words, when you seek God, with all your heart, you're observing His testimonies. That's it. Can you say, beloved, that you delight in the Lord? 
Is He your brownie delight? Yeah. You know, if not, it could be that you're not a believer. Think about that. I need to say that right up front. If you don't have that passion for God, there's a question here as to whether or not you know the Lord. And if you are a believer, then you're treasuring something else other than Him. Ask yourself, what is it? Because God tells us to love Him with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our mind. That is what it is to delight in the Lord. I bring you to another question that needs to be answered. And that is this. Who is to delight in the Lord? Who is to delight in the Lord? And really, this is not difficult to answer. The original recipients of this psalm were covenant Israel. And particularly, the believing remnant. All right. I say this because of two things. Number one, this is a wisdom psalm, much like Psalm 1. That instructs and encourages the righteous and informs him or her about the way of the wicked. But also, only the righteous person can and will delight in the Lord. The one whose heart has been regenerated by God. That has to happen. In fact, look what it says in verses 23 to 25 of this same psalm. The steps of a man, and actually in the King James it says the steps of a good man, are established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Aren't you thankful for that? Boy. He goes on. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Look with me at the end of the psalm, verses 37 to 40. Mark the blameless man or the complete man, and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will altogether be destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. And so therefore, this psalm really applies to all believers of all time. The moment one trusts Christ today, he or she receives eternal life. God himself. The life of God that transforms him or her to cherish the Lord. I truly believe as you sit here this morning, you know that as a believer... That it's only as your heart's been regenerated that you have eternal life that you can cherish God because it wasn't that way before, right? I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the Bible preached a lot. But I didn't have a hunger for God. Oh, I wasn't seeking after Him. I didn't want anything to do with that. 
But I can remember the very night that I got saved, sitting on my bed, looking at my nightstand, where I had a Bible, and it was covered in dust. I had never opened it. In fact, there was a section that was gone out of it because the binding was broken, and I think I lost it. But it was like something was speaking to my conscience. I know there was no audible voice, but my conscience was enlightened because of the grace of God that said, why don't you start reading the Bible? And because I grew up in a church, I thought, well, I think I'll start with John. No one told me to do that. I just did. And from there, I went to 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, anything that John wrote. Very simple. And just fed my soul day in, day out. I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. And I can remember thinking to myself, how come it wasn't there for the other years of my life? This is great. It was like God was trading a basketball in my hand for a Bible in my hand. (laughs) I loved basketball growing up. And when I got saved, that desire did not leave. But what I loved more was the Bible that I had. In fact, I went and got a brand new Bible. And I wanted to know it more and more and more. And so, yes, it is the righteous who delights in the Lord because only he or she can. There should be no excuses, right? You call yourself a believer, you should be delighting in the Lord. And again, I'm going to say this. If you don't, you should be asking yourself, why? That brings me to the third question. Why are you to delight in the Lord? Yeah. Why are you to delight in the Lord? And there are three solid answers given right here in the text. Number one, it's a command to the righteous, right? Yeah, it's a command to the righteous. What does it say there in verse 4? Delight yourself in the Lord. That verb delight here is known as a reflexive verb, a reflexive imperative. In other words, you yourselves delight in the Lord making it very emphatic. And so those who know the Lord have His love already shed abroad their hearts and want to delight in Him. This is a command to the righteous. That's the first reason why we are to delight in the Lord. I love 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, we don't do it because we have to. We do it because why? We want to. Yes, we observe His testimonies. We seek Him with all of our hearts. It's a command to the righteous. Also, another reason. It's a cure for anxious 
and envious hearts. It's a cure for anxious and envious hearts. As I mentioned before, this is what David was addressing here, right? In the first part of this psalm. There are times when believers lose focus. And they get swept away by the prosperity of the wicked. Maybe other things, maybe trials that they are facing. They get distracted from all of that. But in those moments, be reminded that on one hand, it is the wicked who persecute the righteous. And one day, they will be judged. Keep that in your mind. Because the psalmist speaks to it right here. On the other hand, refresh yourselves in God where the true riches and blessings are at. Kind of like what we read in Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorners. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. For he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. That's refreshing ourselves in God. It is a cure for anxious and envious hearts. If your heart is anxious today, God is out here. And you're being distracted by something else. Let's switch it around and focus on God. And you'll be hungering and thirsting after him in those moments, no matter what you're facing. But there's a final reason why you should delight in the Lord. And it's right there in verse 4. Because he will give you the desires of your heart. Because he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, God's desires become your desires as you delight in him. I like how James Boyce put it, God will give you himself. (laughs) Very simply. You see, what we find here is not necessarily some promise that you'll get whatever you want in the sense of physical prosperity. That's not what it's talking about here. This is more about a spiritual and lasting contentment in God. That's what he's referring to here. Kind of like what we read in Psalm 23 and verse 1. David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about that. The Lord, Yahweh God, is my personal shepherd. There's nothing that I want more than Him. And really, He is all that I need. And isn't that what it goes on to say there in the rest of Psalm 23? Sure it does. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No matter what trial you're facing, no matter what you see out in the world, say this to yourself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Be ready to say that when your heart gets distracted or pulled away by those things. David Egner of the Daily Bread shared this little story that I'll share with you. It's entitled, Getting What We Want. A certain airplane pilot had a peculiar habit. Whenever he took off from his hometown of Minneapolis, he would ask the co-pilot to take the controls. And then he would stare intently out the window for a few moments. Finally, the co-pilot's curiosity got the best of him. So he asked, what do you always look at down there? See that boy fishing on that riverbank? The pilot asked, I used to fish from that same spot when I was a kid. Whenever a plane flew over, I would watch it until it disappeared and wish that I could be the pilot. With a sigh, he added, now I wish I could be back down there fishing. The writer goes on to say, it's natural to spend time thinking about where we'd like to be or what we'd like to have. But we must evaluate our desires to make sure they are consistent with what God says will truly satisfy. When our desires conform to God's will, we're not likely to waste time wishing for things that can't satisfy. Real joy comes not in getting what we want, but in wanting to be close to God. Well, that brings us to the final question. You probably have been anticipating this. How do you delight in the Lord? We need to answer that question as well. How do we delight in the Lord? And I'll just tell you, verse 4 does not specifically tell us. But the surrounding context does instruct the reader in this matter. And the answers that I'm going to give you are really the application here for our hearts today. Because when you leave here, I want you to be delighting in the Lord all the time. So that no matter what is out there in the world grabbing your attention, no matter what trial you are facing, your delight is in God. Well, to begin with, generally speaking, it starts by becoming a part of the believing remnant. I alluded to this earlier. It starts by becoming a part of the believing remnant to whom David, the psalmist here, is writing. This psalm here contrasts the righteous and the unrighteous. Those who know God versus those who do not know God. And so to know God and thus delight in Him and have hope, you must be a part of the believing remnant. There's no getting around it. And you want to know something? This happens today in the same way as it did in the Old Testament. Yeah, I've been asked the question, well, how were people saved in the Old Testament the same way they are today? By trusting in God's provision. Remember Abraham? Genesis 15, verse 6, the very first book of the Bible. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Even Abraham is used as an example in the New Testament. You find it in Romans, you find it in Galatians, you find it in James of what true faith looks like. In fact, it says in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, that is, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. We're reconciled to Him. The same way that we were, that those in the Old Testament became believers are the same way Christians, people, are saved today. And so have you put your faith and trust in the provision of God for your forgiveness and salvation? And that is Christ, right? Because of his death and resurrection. I was preaching on that very thing on Friday. Stressing it. The gospel, the good news, is that Christ died and rose again. So that you and I can have life in him, him alone. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. No man come unto the Father but by me. He's done all the work. We simply trust what he has done. Turning on from our sin and trusting in him. And he changes our hearts. We become a believer. And so if you're going to delight in the Lord, it starts right there. Now, I've said this a number of times, and I'm speaking to the church here. You who profess to know Christ as your personal Savior, but could there be someone here this morning that doesn't know Christ, even though you've been professing it? Yes. Why do I say that? Because I was there. And I've heard many testimonies to that very thing. Number two. This leads me to another way for delighting in the Lord. And this is very foundational, okay? And I'm speaking to the believer here. It comes by repenting of distracting thoughts, competing affections, and unrighteous attitudes and actions. Let me repeat that. It comes by repenting of distracting thoughts, competing affections, and unrighteous attitudes and actions. You see... These can be in the lives of believers when they are fretting, when they are anxious in their hearts about the wicked and the world. Again, this is the very issue that David was addressing here in this psalm. Exactly what Asaph was battling with in Psalm 73. So I would ask you to draw near to God with a humble and contrite heart so that you begin to know what it is to hunger and to thirst after God. I like what it says in James 4, 8 to 10, these words. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. So if we are going to delight in the Lord, it begins with being a believer and repenting of anything that's distracting you from God. 
Number three, we need to consider this way for delighting in God, and that is trusting in Him. Trusting in Him. And again, I'm going to say this. It sounds cliche to hear those words, but they are very, very important. I will tell you, it is the emphasis of the text that we just read. And it's stated in different ways. Look with me at verse 3. Remember, this is surrounding verse 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Verse 9. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And verse 11, he says it a little bit differently, but the humble will inherit the land. You see, it's the humble who are trusting in the Lord and not in themselves. When you do not understand why things are the way they are around you, this is the place where God wants you, where all you can do is depend on Him. And yes, God does bring trials into our lives, all sorts of trials, because we're not trusting in Him. We're not delighting in Him. We're not turning to Him. We're looking to everything else for our comfort rather than Him. And so like a rug, He yanks it out from underneath you so that you become dependent on Him. Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah, because our hearts do stray. And He wants to get us refocused. In Psalm 40, verses 1 to 4, David is going through a severe trial. We don't even know what it is. But the way he talks about it reveals that this was serious business. He writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon the rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. That's the lesson that David needed to learn. And you know what? The Apostle Paul had to learn the same lesson also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, to keep him from exalting himself because of the revelations. What did God do? He allowed a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but he allowed a thorn in the flesh. And he came to the Lord three times and asked to be delivered from it. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. And so he learned contentment in those moments. And the contentment came in God. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, getting refocused. God, so many times, is out here. We need to bring him back into focus. 
and let the other things be set aside. Well, this brings me to one final way for delighting in the Lord. And that is by nurturing a passion for God. By nurturing a passion for God. You can only do this as you are meditating on His character. How do we meditate on the character of God? Right here. This is how we meditate on the character of God. This is the revelation He has given to us of Himself. Now, is there everything here that tells us about God? No. But all that we need, right? There have been many times that I have visited with folks who are struggling through various things. And they will say to me, well, I think God this way, or I think God this way. And I have to scratch my head, metaphorically speaking, and say, where have you heard that? Well, it's in the Bible. If you can show me, please do, because I don't know of any place in the Bible that says this about God. And what has happened in those moments is they're thinking wrongly about God. They're believing a lie. No wonder their hearts have gone astray and gone awry. So I want to get back into the Word and meditate on the true character of God so they're thinking this about Him and nurturing a passion for God. And you know, when you meditate on the character of God, you grow in your trust of the Lord, right? You do. In the first 11 verses of this psalm, you learn about the justice of God. He will judge the wicked and vindicate the righteous. You see that in the first 11 verses, the justice of God. But as you read on in this psalm, You see that God loves and cares for His own. He sustains them. Verse 17. He provides for them. Verses 25 and 26. He does not forsake them. Verse 28. He protects them. Verses 39 and 40. It says there at the end of this psalm, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in a time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in Him. The psalmist has had time to think about the character of God. And this is why he says what he does at the end of the psalm. He's trusting Him. He's relishing in God. Because He has nurtured his heart and mind with the character of God. So nurture your heart with God and watch yourself abide and be safe in Him. In fact, just this past week in my Bible study, the XYZ was, we've been going through trusting God, talking about God's sovereignty, and we did a half-hour study just on Isaiah 40. I mentioned it last week, and so I decided we'd be there. And as I told you going into Isaiah 40 last week, that the nation of Israel was going into exile. Why? Because of their idolatry. They weren't thinking rightly about God. 
And they're going to be there for 70 years. And they're going to see how the wicked are with regards to God. But the prophet graciously reveals the one true God. And so we took some time this past week just looking at that. Wow, what a blessing. Just just think about Yahweh God. And that's just one chapter. You can go on, in fact, in the next six chapters of Isaiah, where he continues to exalt God. Isn't that what we were doing this morning? Particularly that last song, did you catch it? About delighting in God because of who He is, because of His character. I hope you're not just singing these songs just off the tip of your tongue without giving thought to it. But as we sing those, you are meditating upon Him and thirsting after Him, trusting Him. Well, certainly there are other ways for how to delight in the Lord. We could go on and give other ways, but I focused on what you can take particularly from this text from which the psalmist was writing. And I will tell you that if you are faithful to these, you will experience spiritual prosperity. And that's really what matters, isn't it? Not this world. We're here for a little while. This life is but a vapor that appears for a short time and then it is gone. Life is short. You know, I've mentioned and introduced to you a book that was written by Rick Holland a few years ago. It's entitled, Uneclipsing the Sun, S-O-N, <laughs> not S-U-N, S-O-N, Uneclipsing the Sun. If you don't have it, get it. It's a small book. It's not very long. Unfortunately for many believers, Jesus the Son has been eclipsed in our hearts. Holland wrote this, Surely the fault is not with the sun, but with us who have allowed him to be eclipsed. When the moon eclipses the sun, it is a wonder to behold. When anything eclipses Jesus, it's an atrocity to eradicate. Think about this. There's never been a time like ours. Never have there been more resources for believers in Christ. Oh, how true that is. Books. New versions and editions of the Bible, conferences galore, MP3s, DVDs, cool and hip churches, contemporary Christian music and radio stations, worship albums, blogs, websites, Christian internet networks, and some of the best preachers in history. But still, a broad shadow lingers over many. Abundant resources have not yielded abundant life. That's very humbling to read. We have it so good today. And yet it seems like we're further from God than the Old Testament believers who did not have as much as we have today. Shame on us. Shame on us. And so take this message to heart. Maybe learn to and live by delighting in the Lord, just 
as the psalmist David called us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And what a blessing it is to consider this verse, a verse that hopefully we have memorized, and if not, we need to. May we have hearts that delight in you. No matter what we face in a given day, may we say as the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So God, work in hearts as only you can. We'll trust you for it and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.